So we're going to continue in, in the book of Romans, and we're going to go into chapter 7 this morning. And I've titled this one, The Conflict of Natures. And you guys may have read a, a, the book of Romans, you may have read about the, the conflict of the two natures. And what Paul's talking about is, uh, you know, we, with our minds, before we were saved, with our minds, we wanted to serve you. We wanted to do the right things. I think most people want to live a good life. They want to do the right thing. And before they have a revelation of true salvation, even people that have gone to church their whole life, they understand that they're supposed to do the right thing. They want to live for God, but they, even though they want to, they can't. They continue to fail. They continue to try to fix themselves. They continue to try to meet this list and this guideline of rules. And they continue to fail. It's the, the one nature inside of them, this, their mind wants to serve God, but, but their body just seems to, it's just not possible. They keep failing. They keep messing up. And uh, that's what Paul's going to talk about in this conflict of the two natures. And I'm also going to point out that this is sometimes uh, uh, often misconstrued as to what he's talking about. So we'll deal with that when we get there. But uh, we're going to straighten that out and dig deep into what Paul's talking about and see what he's talking about there. Also, in the beginning of this chapter, we deal with, with uh, basically a legal explanation for why it's, it's, it's okay for us to, to be under a new law of grace. Why, why this is uh, uh, done in a correct way. God didn't just you know, toss out one plan and bring in another. He didn't just scratch what was going on. He didn't just throw away the law. But, but it's the legal grounds of why we are now serving under the law of grace and no longer under uh, the Old Testament law. So let's go ahead and dig in and get started. In Romans 7, 1 through 3, it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So now we're going to start getting into this legal argument that Paul has, is saying this is why we are no longer joined to the law. And he starts off by making his case. And he starts talking off by, by marriage. And he says, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Why does Paul say this? Why does he point this out? Well, if you're not uh, living under the law of Moses and dealing with how they dealt with measure, marriage, it's probably not going to mean a whole lot to you. The truth is that, that uh, the, the Greeks at the time, those who were, who were uh, heathen, those who weren't serving God, marriage was not nearly as big a thing. It was okay to go to the temple and sleep with prostitutes. It's okay to do these kind of things. Matter of fact, as we've looked at it with other cultures, even today, um, it's okay for the man to do all kinds of stupid when he's married. Culturally, it's okay for... for I was just listening, uh, reading about... Uh, as you guys know, I'm trying to learn Spanish, so there's a, a guy who, who uses pop culture to, to, uh, to learn Spanish, to see how language is used. And one of the... One of the songs was a Shakira song he's going through, and I realized that I probably need to stay away from Mexican songs. But nonetheless, <laughs> pop, pop culture Mexican songs, not necessarily wholesome, I've come to find out. Nonetheless, uh, the <laughs> she's, she's singing to this guy saying that she's not okay with, with him fooling around on her. And he says... Uh, basically, the, the, the way it works is that you have me six days a week, the seven day, seventh day of the week, I'm allowed to do what I want. And that's kind of the culture, is this, this uh, uh, machismo culture, is that, you know, that the man gets to do what he wants. I mean, you should be, you should be happy that I'm, I'm faithful to you six days a week. You shouldn't worry about that seventh day. You know? And that's, 
obviously, if you're living that kind of life, this isn't going to be much of an argument, <laughs> you know. But for those who are under the law, uh, that's who he's talking to. And he says that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And we know that's true, right? I mean, if you're, a, if you're convicted of something and you die, they're, they're not going to throw your dead body in jail, right? So as long as you're alive, the law has reign over you. But if you die, well, you're just buried. So it says, then it says, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while she was living. While he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning their husband. Now, let's be clear. This doesn't mean, wives, that you're allowed to knock off your husband if you're not happy with going, what's going on. It's not the point he's trying to make here. So, but the truth is that while, you're mar- while, you, while you guys are both still alive, the marriage contract, the marriage vows are in effect. And obviously... You know, we know that there's other, you know, if, if someone's unfaithful, you can get divorced uh, legally. That's okay because you're not bound to someone who's going to be unfaithful. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with marriage per se. We're dealing with, with the law and how that affects people who are living or are not living. So with that in mind, let's continue on. The truth is that marriage is in effect, until, in effect till death do us part. That's why when you have your marriage vows, that's why we say that, till death do us part. What it's basically saying is that there is, there is no way out of this contract uh, despite what this world thinks that we can do, despite that you can, matter of fact, there's people who, drives me crazy, people that, that they specialize in divorce law. I mean, they're, they're, that's what they do. They're, uh, they're, they're specializing in, in getting people out of the contract, the, the commitment that they made to their spouse. Now, I understand, and sometimes that's necessary, but uh, to, to advertise it the way they do, it just breaks my heart. It's, it's become a business instead of something that we're loath to do. It's something that we're uh, marketing, which is kind of sad to me. But, yeah, until the spouse dies, the, the, the vows or the contract, the marriage contract is in effect. So the only way that you can, can remarry, or, to, or the Bible says here, to join yourself to another man, or if you're a, a, a woman or a man, to join yourself to another woman, so that's not, that's not that kind of church. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but the only way that you're, you're able to get remarried is, is if, you, if your spouse dies and you get remarried, you're not committing adultery. You're not, you know, if you're, if you're a widow or a widower and you get remarried, you're not committing adultery. You're not, you've not done anything wrong legally. The, the marriage contract that you had before is no longer in effect because the person's dead, right? You know, another way to look at this in today's world is, is looking at a non-compete agreement. I work in the IT field, and, and uh, I had to sign a, a, a paperwork with my boss that says that if I were to ever leave his employment, then I would not compete with him for two years. I'm not allowed to, to work in the field, and the legality of that's another discussion, if that can be enforced or not. However, this is what's looked at in today's world. I can't compete with him. But how many know that if he goes out of business then that contract is null and void. Now, if I were to leave and he's still in business, I've, I'm under a contract that I can't compete with him in the same field. But if you were to go out of business, then in essence, that entity has died and no longer is that contract bound. I'm not longer bound by that contract. I'm able to, to work wherever I need to work. And that's kind of the, the common day thing. Another example where, where the law is, is not in effect when one of the parties dies. Amen. So we'll continue on Romans 7, 4 through 6. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. And remember that that's by faith we die with Jesus. So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law 
were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You know, Paul's previous illustration dealing with the marriage was to show that when something happens under the law, when, when one person dies, when one entity dies, the, the contract is void. The contract is no longer in effect. And that's the same thing we find here is that, that uh, when we died with Jesus, the contract, the, the law, the, the power that the law had over us is no longer in effect because we're dead, right? And then it says that, that he was raised. We might be joined to another. We were, we were able to be joined to Jesus Christ because he was raised in order that we might bear fruit for God. Why were we given a new life? Why were we raised up together with him? It wasn't so we could just sit on our blessed assurance, but it was so that we could do good fruit. We could bear good fruit for God, do good works for God. And matter of fact, it actually makes it so we are able to do these good works. And we'll look at that later when we're talking about the, the two natures, but it's not till we we're made brand new that we can even live a life towards God because otherwise we're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to the law. It says while we were saved or while we were unsaved while we were in the flesh it says the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death you know the when we were under the authority of god law and we were under the authority of god's law and we were con, uh, we were actually condemned by it we can't measure up to that set of standards it's, it's not not possible for us to meet that set of standards so it actually it actually makes it where we can't measure up it actually condemns us in it and all we can do while we're in that state is just bear fruit for death. All we can do is, is, is produce death, produce nothing. The ultimate outcome is death. It's like the Bible says, do you remember when it says that all of our good deeds uh, before him were, are like filthy rags to him? You know, that, that's what, what's going on there. Everything that we produce is producing death. And it says that the law aroused sin. It says our sinful passions which were aroused by the law. What does that mean that they were aroused by the law? They were given a value. They were pointed out. You remember that uh, in Romans 5.13, just a few weeks ago we looked at it, it says, for until the, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. See, the truth is when the law came, it, it began to give our sin a value, if you will. It began to tell us that it was actually sin. Before the law, we didn't even know it was sin. But then God says out the law, all right, guys, you need to understand this is what's going on, pointing out the problems. And that's how it, it aroused sin. It actually gave strength to it because it began to point out and put our focus on the bad stuff instead of focusing on him. But here's where we start to look at this illustration that Paul had and how it might work out a little bit differently than we thought. Because this illustration of marriage is, is when the, if the husband dies then the woman is free to be joined to another. So if we look at this illustration, who are we in the illustration and who is the law? We would think that, that uh, the law would be, would be the husband, right? It's the one that we're no longer to be joined to or to be joined to another. But in the illustration of marriage, the law, the husband or the law, and we are the bride, we are, we are the, the wife, the law or the husband dies in his illustration. That's obviously not what happens here because we died, right? The bride dies. But the truth is that, that the illustration still works. It still makes the point because it's exactly the point he's trying to make. Because when the bride dies, she's no longer 
she's no longer subject to the contract of marriage, correct? I mean, obviously, if you're dead, you're not going to stay married. You're not going to be going on with your married life like you always have, right? No, at least if you try, it's not going to be as pleasant for your spouse, I can tell you that much. But what would have to happen for someone who is dead to remarry, to be joined to another? They'd have to live again, right? They'd have to be, they'd have to be raised from the dead. They'd have to be given a new life. And that's exactly what happened in us as, as, we, were, as, we, were, as we died with Jesus by faith. We're that bride who died, but then he gives us a brand new life, a brand new life to live inside of us that is his. And the old life was bound to the law. It was under a contract. It was bound to the law, but our new life is no longer subject to the law. The reason why we're released from the law, why we're no longer under the condemnation and the power and the, and the, uh, the requirement to, to meet this standard is because the person that was is dead died with Jesus. The one that was bound to the law no longer lives. But now, the Bible says that we have been released from the law having died to that which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. See, serving in the newness of the Spirit is, is living godly because we have been made brand new. We actually have the ability to, to meet the requirements of the law because we have a life inside of us that can actually do it, a life that's not subject and bound and under the bondage of sin. Being led to the law does not mean that we behave lawlessly. Everyone understand that? that even though we're dead to the law, it doesn't give us the right and permission to do whatever we want. It doesn't mean we can behave lawlessly. But instead, it means that the motivation for us to live holy is no longer condemnation by the law. We're not motivated to live holy, hoping to measure up to some unattainable standard so that we can hopefully, by the skin of our teeth, one day get into heaven someday. Because we're scared, because the law points out our failures, we're scared that we're not going to make it. So our motivation is to do the best we can. That's not our motivation anymore, but our motivation now is the natural response to God's love poured out inside of us. And we have the ability to respond because we've been freed from the bondage of sin. We finally are able to respond and live a life that is thankful to God, that is serving to Him because of what He's given us, because we have a brand new life. Sin can no longer hold us down unless we let it. Sin can no longer ravage us and make us do these silly things that we used to do unless we let it. We're finally freed from that and we have the ability to live a life unto God instead of a life unto sin. Romans 7, 7 through 8, it says, he, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. If you remember, this may it never be is, is, is Paul. I like Paul because he's like, all right, this is what these guys are going to say. So I'm just going to lay it out and shut it down in the beginning. I'm going to shut these arguments down in the beginning. So if you're saying that, that, that uh, the law is what, is, what, is what condemns us, does that mean it's sin? He says, no. May it never be. On the contrary, I cannot have come to know sin except for the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. See, the truth is, the law is not bad. The law is not what makes us do bad things. All it does is highlight the things that we are doing bad. It actually helps us to clarify and to clearly see what's, what's wrong in our lives. See, Paul says... 
No, there's nothing wrong with the law. Matter of fact, I wouldn't even not come to known sin except through the law. That's good. It's actually showing us what is wrong, what is bad, what we're not supposed to do. is actually a good thing that the law does. Because how would we know not to do it if the law didn't point it out? If the law wasn't to show us what was, was actually... You know, the reason why we're not supposed to do certain things, or we're not supposed to, to partake in sin, is not because God's trying to make us not have a good time. He's, he doesn't want us to just have a, a terrible life here on earth. The point is, is that stuff is harmful to you. And it damaged you either, either spiritually or mentally, or some of it even physically. And, and we would, before the law, there was a lot of stuff that was happening. They didn't even know what they were doing was wrong. And one example that Paul gives in particular is, is coveting. He says, for how would I have known not to covet? If the law is said, not said, you shall not covet. How do we have known that that was wrong? Because that's, you know, all the other stuff that we do, I mean, there's, there's obvious stuff, right? We, we know that taking something that belongs to someone else is wrong. We get that. We understand that. We also know that murdering somebody is wrong. That makes sense, right? Hello, how are you guys doing? So, did you guys bring in a cricket? <laughs> Praise God. Mm. So, uh, we all know that th- those are the big things. We all know that stealing, lying, cheating, those, those things are bad. Those are sins. We all know that. But how would we have known that just, just wanting what somebody else has, not being satisfied with what they have, but, but wanting what somebody else has was actually wrong? How would we know that, that covetousness was wrong? But the truth is that the law was able to show us that, yeah, these are the things that God says are not okay. So the law in itself is not bad. It's kind of like when you're driving at night. This is something I think we can all, especially here in Arizona because all the dust in there. But you ever been driving at night and you can see out your window, your windshield perfectly fine. Everything's looking good. But then another car comes and the light reflects off your window and you're like, holy smokes, there's dead bugs, there's dirt, there's dust. You can just see it all. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of what, what the law did. Because, you know, man was just living his life going on and everything looked perfectly fine. But the law came, it came through like another car with the headlights shining on the windshield and began to point out all the, the flaws, all the mistakes, what needed to be taken care of. Or another one, I used to be into cars. I used to have this really nice car. It was a uh, 1978 Turbo Trans Am, T-tops, beautiful. And... Uh, uh, red. I, I did have a bad. I have a bad uh, history with Pontiacs. I keep blowing the motors in them. But it was. I love this car. And I remember at my the apartment that I lived. If it was at night, and uh, parked under the fluorescent lights, it looked awesome. It was shiny. It was beautiful, and it just looked like it had the perfect paint job. But during the daytime, when you got the sunlight shining on it and the full spectrum of light you can start to see the flaws in the paint. I didn't look bad, but there were, it, it wasn't great. So you could really see that, but at night under the fluorescent lights, beautiful car. But that's kind of what the law does. Is the law is like the sunlight, the full spectrum of light that begins to point out the flaws when you thought everything was okay. That's why you should never, <laughs> a friendly tip from the pastor, never buy a car at night. Never, ever, ever. You always want to be able to see what you're buying. But that's what the law did. It shined the light on all those areas that were an issue. And there was nothing wrong with that per se. The problem was is that sin took advantage of what the law was doing. So it wasn't the law that was the issue, it was sin. It says sin took an opportunity through the commandment, through the law, and produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. 
So what is he talking about? Well, let me, let me explain it in a way that I think we can all understand. Let's take a look at our kids. You know, if you, if you uh, have a, something that you don't want your kids to do, Telling them not to do it can sometimes be the worst thing that you can do, especially if it hasn't come to their minds yet. So say you have a cookie jar in the kitchen full of cookies, and they don't know about the cookies yet, but you come in and you say, well, I'm gone. Do not get into the cookie jar. How many know, as soon as you leave, that's all they're thinking about is the cookie jar. Matter of fact, your commandment, your rule of saying, don't get into the cookie jar is actually produced in them a covetousness. It's produced in them a desire for something that they may not even thought about. So that's what the law, that's what sin did. It came in and used the law to, to take advantage of us. Even though the law was good. How many know that when you tell your kids not to get into something, there's nothing wrong with that? That's not bad. Matter of fact, you're, 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 it's a good thing because you don't want them to eat all the cookies and, and grow up looking like me. You want them to stay nice and thin and handsome like, like Vinny back there. Stay out of the cookies. <laughs> Praise God. What about when you tell somebody, don't look behind you, but there's a funny, there's a funny looking person. I mean, every time you do, they're like, I said not look. Now he saw us. Or what about the, the, the classic cliche one, don't look down. What's the first thing you're going to do is look down. Or how many, how many know that if you're walking by a fence and there was a hole in the fence and you just saw the hole, you wouldn't think nothing of it. And there's a hole in the fence. You walk, but how many know that if you walked by and there was a big sign that says, do not look through the hole, that's all you'd want to do is look through the hole in the fence, right? Just me? I'm the only person that would see that? I want to see what's... That's what sin did. It took advantage of the law. In Romans 7, 9 through 12, it says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the, commandments came, when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taken an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. This is talking about is in Jewish culture, at around the age of 13, you are now uh, liable to follow the law. You are now liable to, to follow the commandments of the law. So now, before 13, if you were to break one of the laws, it wasn't held to your account. It wasn't your fault. You're still learning. You're still young. But at around the age of 13, they said that, you know, now you break the law. Now you're liable for it. And that's what Paul's referring to here. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. Before he turned 13 years old, before he got to that age of, of responsibility, he was alive apart from the law. The law didn't have any control over him because he wasn't subject to the law according to Jewish custom. But then it says, the commandments came. When the commandments came, when he turned 13, he says, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was a result in life, proved to result in death for me. This commandment was, you know, the law came so that, that, that the, the Jewish people could learn to live in a righteous and holy manner so that they could, they could be right before God. That was the point. It was supposed to make it so they knew how to live, so they could live that way. But the problem was, this law, which was supposed to result in life by laying out the requirements of how to live, only let death in because it pointed out how poorly we were achieving this, this list of regulations. You know, the law came in, what it didn't do was give us a roadmap of how to live, right? Basically, it came in and said, wait, this is all the areas you're messing up. 
this is, this is where you're failing. And actually allowed sin to come alive and point out all those failures. It says right here that, that sin took an advantage. Taking an opportunity through the commandment, it took advantage of him and it deceived me and through it killed me. You know, sin, sin deceives us by promising things that it can't provide. Sin promises fulfillment. It promises everlasting joy. It promises all these things, but it can't provide it. And it deceives us. There was once a, a story of a, of a man who, who, uh, who grew up with a tiger. He had a pet tiger. And he kept it since it was a little cub. And it was always with him. And, and, and he never had any problem. He raised it since it was a cub. And it grew up to be a full-size tiger. And even everybody in the neighborhood didn't think anything of it because this guy's always had this and he's and he would walk it every day and take it out and it's just a it was a tame and raised and and everything was fine but then one day the, no, the local newspaper reports that that while he was out on a walk something that he had done every day for years with this tiger something in it turned and it killed the man and everybody in the community was shocked because this was such a great tiger this is such i mean what's going on this was his friend they were shocked but the newspaper article reported that experts weren't shocked. It says that the t- they said that the tiger is a wild animal and it's only a matter of time before it took control in its own way. And sin does the same thing. It deceives us. It comes in like everything's fine, like everything's good. We're best friends. But the truth is that sin is a wild animal and one day it will turn on you. Even though everything seems fine now, just like that tiger that seemed fine with that man for so many years, Eventually, it'll, it'll deceive you like that for a long time. But eventually, it'll turn on you and it'll begin to destroy your life. It'll kill you. So what do we know is that the, then the law is good. The commandment is good. The law is holy. But it's sin that is the problem. It is sin that deceives us. And unfortunately, sin actually gains strength through the law because it finally gets to be put on a pedestal. It gets to be pointed out. It gets to become the focus In John 6.40, it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. See, the thing is here is that that Jesus came so that we would behold Him. To behold something is to to put our eyes on it, to see Him. The Bible says that if we behold the Son and believe in Him, if we see the Son, if our focus is on the Son and we believe in Him, then we will have eternal life. See, the problem with the law is that it puts all of our focus on sin. All the law, do- do- does, all the law does is is bring out sin. It puts focus on it. It actually points out what's going on in our life. So when we deal with the law, when we see that these are our, the, our failures, all we do is think about our failures. All we do is focus on our failures. The law told us how we could earn righteousness but it highlighted the sin that surely kept us from it. But the law of, ra- of grace highlights the one who makes us righteous. You know, we see here that if we behold the Son and believe in Him, we're made righteous. We'll have, we'll have eternal life. And Jesus Himself will raise us up on that last day. But if you, if you focus on sin, then that's what has power in your life. Whatever you focus on, whatever you're putting your, your eyes on is what has control in your life. See, when we have the, if you've ever noticed, even, even as, as uh, believers, that if we focus on our failures, 
You know, if you have something that's, that's a sin in your life that's having problems, it's got a, a hold on you, that if you keep focusing on that failure, if that's all you can think about and you feel guilty about it and you feel terrible about it, that thing which always tempts you is now always in the forefront of your mind and it's actually drawing you to it even more. When we think about sin, when we put focus on sin, it actually gives it power in our lives. It draws us to it. But if we focus on God, if we behold the Son and keep our focus on Him, we, we focus on, on not our failures, but on His success. We don't focus on where we messed up, but we focus on how He made us brand new and we are able to live the righteous life that He's given us. Then in John 15.4 it says, Abide in Me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in Me. If we abide in Him and He abides in us, then we have life. And abiding in Him is, is focusing on and spending time with Him, spending time in Your Word, spending time worshiping Him, spending time praying to Him, abiding in Jesus. Basically looking to Him for everything and placing all of our trust in Him. And Him abiding in us is letting Him live His life, His life that He gave us, letting Him live it out through us. Grace is the free gift of God and it renders sin powerless because sin basically never gets the time of day. See, there's things that happen in my life that don't concern me that much because it's not that they're not real. It's just that Jesus already dealt with them. The, the, answer, the answer is Jesus. When the enemy begins attacking me, telling me things aren't going my way, he comes, comes into my life, I don't look at the enemy and try to negotiate with him. I don't focus on what's going bad because all that does is give that power in my life. But instead, I look to Jesus because I know that in him I am victorious. In him I have overcome whatever's happening. When, when sickness begins to creep in my life and I begin to, to get a cold or whatever, I don't, I don't focus on the sickness, but I focus on, on the healing that I already have in Jesus Christ because it is legally mine by Him dying on the cross. He, he paid the price so that I could be whole. And when I'm afraid, you know, one of the, the, the most dangerous things you can do when you're afraid, this whole idea of, of looking your fear in the eye, Congress, it's one of actually the most dangerous things you can do. And when I, when I say that, it's not to mean that you don't, you don't stand up to your fear. The difference is you don't do it on your own. When you look at the fear yourself and you try to look that fear in the face, you're actually giving it power because you're putting it in the forefront of your mind. But instead, when you're afraid, you look to Jesus. And as a result, you're victorious over that fear. The Bible says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. You see, when these things come into my life, I'm not concerned because I know that in Jesus, I've already conquered all these things. The Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Amen? And because of these things, I know that I'm victorious and I don't have to deal with the stuff that's coming at me when the enemy attacks me because I keep my focus on him. And like I said, this doesn't mean that these things aren't real and these things aren't happening. The, the idea of, of standing on faith is not ignoring what's going on in your life. It's the difference between truth and facts. The fact is... You might have a cold right now, but the truth is that you're healed in the name of Jesus. The fact is that you might be afraid right now, but the truth is that God has not given you a spirit of fear. The fact is you might not have a job right now or things might, might uh, seem not to be going well, but the truth is that God is your provision and He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Romans 7.13, it says, Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? 
Once again, may it never be. He's, he's dealing with that. Then is the law the problem? No, the law is not the problem. Sin is. It says, rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. That's a heck of a sentence right there, huh? Basically what it's saying is that it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin. The law came in in order to show sin was sin. Because before the law, we didn't know sin was sin. The law came to show that sin is sin and ultimately to show that it's utterly sinful. It's really bad. It's to show how bad sin really is. The law is not the problem and it's not the law that causes death, but sin does. You know, it's very common for kids when they get in trouble to blame the parents. Right? You had that with your kid? You, you, they get grounded for something and they're mad at you? They're the one that didn't clean their room, but they're mad at you. Because you told them, if you don't clean your room, there's going to be consequences. But it's, it's our fault, right? Because we made the rule. See, the thing is, the rule is not the problem. The problem is that they weren't following the rules. You know, if you tell your kids that if you, you hit your sister, they're going to be grounded, and they hit their sister... They shouldn't be mad at you because they got grounded. They should be mad at themselves for hitting their sister. They were told not to. And that's kind of how the law was. The law is not the issue. It's the sin that's the issue. The law just pointed out what was wrong. The law just made it clear that hitting your sister is not okay. Leaving your room a mess is not okay. Amen? You know, the sin was always the problem. If it was the law that was the problem, there wouldn't have been death before the law. But as we've read before in, in previous chapters, that the law was causing death well before, or sorry, sin was causing death well before the law was ever received. It's sin that causes death in our life, not the law. The law just clarifies what it is that is causing death in our life. The law shined a spotlight on sin. What that means is that it's showing. Sin by showing sin is good. Showing what is wrong is good. Pointing out what is wrong is not a bad thing. It's good. The law actually shows how bad sin really is. The problem was is that sin took advantage of that to, to, to make things worse in our life. Amen? So now we're getting into the conflict of the two natures. I've got to make sure that I'm not trying to read the scripture. Well, I almost just poured that down my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Romans seven fourteen through 16 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Truth is that he says, I am of the flesh. When Adam sinned, we died our spiritual death. And now we are of the flesh. It says, For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing, that the law is good. The first thing that I want to make clear about the, the conflict of the new, two natures, and it's something that, that often gets confused, is this, is this is pre-salvation he's talking about. This is before you have Jesus in your heart. This idea of not being able to do the right thing because sin is having its effect in your body, that's before Jesus. This isn't about after you get saved and you want to do the right thing and you continue to sin. This is actually pre-salvation is what he's dealing with. He says, first of all, that I am of the flesh. And you remember in, in Romans 7, 5 through 6, just a little bit earlier we were talking about it, he says, while we were in the flesh, 
the sinful passions which were aroused for the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. And we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. After Jesus, you die to the flesh and you're alive in the newness of the spirit. You were in the flesh, but you are no longer. And in 1 John 4, 4, John says, you are from God, little children. You're not from the flesh anymore. You're not of the flesh. You're from God. You're of God. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's a scripture to write down right there. 1 John 4, 4, and memorize that one. See, the truth truth is that before salvation, that we were in bondage to sin. It wasn't of our own choice. The Bible says here we were sold into bondage, into sin. That was something that that, uh, we start our life broken in bondage to sin because uh, spiritually we're dead before salvation. Before we were given a new spirit inside of us, we're spiritually dead and we're sold into bondage to sin. And because of that, Paul says, I'm doing... For what I am doing, I don't understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But I do the very thing I do not want to do. I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Basically, what's happening here is, before he was saved, before Jesus came in, before the law, and this is, and you got to remember, for us, we've always known about Jesus, and we have a short time before we were saved, but he's dealing with an entire Jewish culture that never had Jesus yet. So this is what they've, they've been living their whole lives like this, saying, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. I agree with the law in my mind. I agree with the law. The reason I know I agree with the law, because I'm doing the thing I don't, I don't want to do it. If I wanted to do it, if I thought this was good, then I wouldn't agree with the law. But I agree this is bad. I don't want to do it. But I find myself doing the very thing which I hate. Because sin was alive inside of you. You're in bondage to sin, and it has control over your life. Romans 7, 17-20 says, So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells inside of me. This is what he's saying. A sin was living inside of me and it had control over me. Without Jesus, sin is our master. The Bible says in other places that we are a slave to sin. We, it basically has full control in our life, making us do the very things that we don't want to do. Before we got saved, I know for me personally, I wanted to live a good life. Before I, I truly understood that, that God had made me a new creation, I wanted to do the right thing, but I kept failing over and over and over and over because I was trying to fix myself. The problem is you can't fix yourself. You don't have that ability. You don't have that power. Sin has control over you without Jesus. Even if you want to do good, without a new life inside of you, it's impossible. We're born broken. We're born with that sin reigning inside of us. And the only way that that can be rectified, resolved, is through Jesus Christ in our lives. It's actually why it's silly to expect non-Christians to act like Christians. They have sin, has control over their body. They are in bondage to sin, whether they realize it or not. To expect people that aren't Christians to act like Christians is, is just folly on our part. It's, it's just silly for us to think that they're going to act the way we, like God is alive inside of them, because he's not. You know, we marvel at how, how bad the world has gotten. We're almost surprised at how bad things have gotten in, in the world today. But the truth is, 
people that aren't saved, that's, that's who they are. That's, that's, and almost Paul's making the point here is even if they want to do good, they can't. You know, you can, you can do it for a little while, right? You can, without Jesus, you can do the right things for a little while, but ultimately, you end up failing again. However, we shouldn't stand in judgment of these people. We shouldn't point and, 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 and look at how bad they're doing and, and think less of them or, or talk them down. But we should actually be hurting for these people because they need that very thing that we have inside of us, that new life inside of us. The only way that they can overcome this stuff happening inside of them is to, to have Jesus Christ in their life. In Galatians 5.1 it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So now I'm going to take a, a brief interlude and start dealing with Christians. So what happens in our life when we sin? Because we've already talked about that we're no longer of the flesh. We don't actually have the sin nature inside of us conflicting with us, trying to make us do this. Sin no longer has control over our body because we've been set free. The Bible says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You know, it's much like a person that's in prison. If they were in a jail cell and, and you were to walk up, the first situation, if you were to walk up and, and unlock the door when they weren't looking, they would assume the door is still locked and they wouldn't even try to get out. Their door is unlocked, but they're still living in jail. They're still living in prison. And sometimes Christians are living like that. They get saved, but no one ever told them that they're free. So they don't try the door because they don't know. I want you to know that if you have Jesus Christ living inside of you, you are free from the bondage of sin. You're free from those old temptations and sinful desires that were holding you down. And in Christ, you actually have the ability to live a holy life. And then for others, it can be like a dog in the invisible fence. You guys have seen the invisible fence? You throw a shot collar on a dog and you stick up the four posts in the yards and if they cross that line it zaps them back into the yard. But you know that if you train a dog like that, you only have to do it for so long and then you can take the whole system down. And the dog has learned that that's where the fence is, I'm not going to cross the fence. Even though the fence is no longer powered up anymore, the dog won't cross that line because it knows what happens if it does. It's, it knows that it's imprisoned by this invisible wall. And even worse, there are those who are, are, are in, in the prison cell and the, gates are actually, the gate is actually open. They know that they're free. Sometimes as Christians, we know that we're free. We choose to stay in the jail cell. The bars have completely been removed, but we choose to stay sitting in that cell instead of living in freedom that Christ has purchased for us. We make the conscious choice to stay where we're at. And the final situation is, is what he's really dealing with here is, is it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You know, we can, we can choose to live a life without sin if we'll keep our focus on Jesus. If we choose not to be subject to the, again to that yoke of slavery. But the problem is, is that we take our eyes off Jesus for a moment. We look away. And that's when sin begins to grab. We actually choose 
to be bound to the yoke of slavery again. It's actually our choice to get put back under that saddle, to get put back under that, uh, that bondage because we, we turn away from Jesus. We, we almost push aside His freedom. We push aside what He's purchased for us. I know that's when sin comes into my life and, and usually it goes something like this. I start to get tempted and Jesus is like, you're free from that. And I'm like, I know, I know, but talk to me about it again in a minute. Tell me about it again in a minute. You ever been there? You kind of push God away? That's when we make the choice to be subject again to that yoke of slavery. But I want you to know that we don't have to live like that. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we understand what He's done in our life and we, and we stand victorious in Him. It's not something we, we ascribe to or we're trying to attain, but we already are victorious in Him if we'll just stand in it in faith. Romans 7, 21-24, Paul says, I find then that the principle that evil is present in me, and we're going back to what Paul's talking about with the conflict of the two natures. He says, I find then that the principle that evil is present, present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? It doesn't matter that if you agree with the law, you agree with what's good and right and want to do it without a change, without being fixed, without something happening inside of you. You can't measure up. You can't do it. It's like the man who's building a house and he hires a work crew to, to build this house and everything's going up well and everything looks great and all the walls get put up. So he begins to walk through and he pulls out his plumb line to make sure that all the lines are straight. And he puts it up to the wall and he begins to say, oh, this wall's crooked, what's going on here? And he goes, to the, oh, this wall's crooked, what's going on here? And he goes to the next wall. It turns out that all the walls in the house are crooked. And he goes out and he gets mad at all the workers and he fires them all. And then he gets mad at himself because he hired these poor workers in the first place. That's kind of what the law did. It comes in and it points out. It's our plumb line. It points out where we're failing. And we can get mad at ourselves all we want. We can get mad at the law. We can get mad at God. We can get mad at whoever we want. But the problem is the walls are still crooked. See, the thing about the law is, is that it's your plumb line and points out what's wrong, but it never provides a solution. That's the, the greatest issue with the law is it doesn't provide a solution. What are we to do? Paul says, wretched man that I am. I've got my plumb line. It points out how bad things are, but I have no solution. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And we all know the answer to that. In Romans 7.25 it says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand I myself with my mind I am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And forgive me, I'm going to dip a little bit into chapter 8 because this is what ends this statement. He says, But therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Paul asks, who will set me free from the body of this death? And the answer is Jesus. It says, there is no condemnation for those who are on Jesus Christ. You know, that sin that used to, 
to ravage in your body. The, the law came out and pointed out your failures. Part of the power of sin is that it could, that it could uh, condemn you. It could tell you how bad you were doing. It can make you feel bad at your failure. And you could get angry and upset, but there was no provision in the law. But because of Jesus, there's no more condemnation because the, the penalty that was required has been paid. It would be like going to the hospital and you get a hospital bill, right? When you go to the hospital, like if you just had your baby, I'm sure you got a bill for that. Well, somebody got a bill for that. You know, you go to the, go to the hospital or, or anything, it doesn't matter. You have a bill. And if you call and pay the bill, how many know if they show up at your doorstep a week later asking you to pay it again, you're not really concerned about it? Because you can show them your receipt. No, this was already paid. You, you can't condemn me with this. You can't accuse me with this. You can't tell me that I owe this. It was already paid. I got, I got the receipt right here. And that's the same way when, when sin comes to you and says, oh no, you owe me something. You, you have to pay for that. You can say, no, I got the receipt right here. Jesus Christ signed the bill. He already paid the bill. I'm no longer under condemnation because that's been paid for. And because of that, we are set free from the law of sin and the law of death. We're actually able to live to God. We're actually able to live with a brand new life inside of us. Paul says, who will set me free? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus will set you free. And if you have him living inside of you, you're free from the law of sin and death. You're free to, not free to sin. We've already talked about that before. It's, it's not freedom to do whatever you want, but you're free to live to him. You're free from sin. Sin no longer has control over you. And you're able to live the righteous and holy and set apart life that God intended for you to live. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Stand our feet and we'll uh, bow our heads.